the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. So pleased to welcome back Dr. Fauci. Good morning, Dr. Fauci. Welcome back to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Well, thank you for having me, Hugh. It's always a pleasure to be with you. It's great to have you back. Now, you know, we're about 90% in agreement all the time, doctor. And I've been urging vaccines since they've been available and mask and social distancing since January of last year. I'm kind of the CDC's resident conservative cheerleader. But we have a disagreement that I want to air with you. That you okay, and let's do that. My friend Chuck Todd disagrees with me, too. It's about children K through three. And as the grandfather of three of them, and I talked to a lot of parents, they don't believe masks are a good thing. They believe they are developmentally difficult to deal with. They can hide developmental disabilities. They impair speech and hearing and that they're not very effective. And boy, they feel this strongly. And it's what the U.K. felt. My, my grandkids were in school in England last year. Why do you disagree with the U.K. specialist and with the Wall Street Journal this morning article by Dr. Macari and Dr. Meisner? You know, Hugh, that is a difficult situation because you really do have to balance the risk of transmission versus the real risk. And I'm not putting down what you're saying. It's not comfortable, obviously, for children to wear masks, particularly the younger children. But, you know, what we're starting to see, Hugh, and and, and I think it's going to unfold even more as the weeks go by, that this virus not only is so extraordinarily transmissible, but we're starting to see pediatric hospitals get more and more younger people and kids, not only numerically, but what seems to be more severe disease. Now, we're tracking that. The CDC is tracking that really very carefully. So it's going to be a balance that we would feel very badly if we all of a sudden said, okay, kids, don't wear masks. And then you find out retrospectively that this virus, in a very, very strange and unusual way, is really hitting kids really hard. That's the thing. Nobody feels comfortable at all about having children be put in a situation where it might ultimately, the way some people study, have some impact on them. But hopefully this will be a temporary thing, temporary enough that it doesn't have any lasting negative impact on them. And getting back to what you and I both agree very much on, Hugh, is that the way to get out of all of this is to just get as many people vaccinated as quickly as we possibly can. If we could do that, the level of virus in the community would be so low that we wouldn't be talking about things like masking indoors even for vaccinated people and masking in the school. Now, now, Doctor, I want to stay focused on K through three and four for a second, because that's the only place where I find significant, I mean, genuinely deep departure from CDC confidence among people who are center right and center left. 
Uh, we know the numbers for kids. 794 kids age 12 and under die in vehicle crashes. 70 a year die from choking. 22 children and teens are shot every day. Dorothy Novick cited some of these numbers. She also cited, and she's at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, that the total number of children who have died from COVID as of July 29 was 358. That is, of course, a tragedy, every single one. But the doctors at work in the Wall Street Journal today say the transmission rate for children 5 to 17 was 0.5 per million, or roughly 25 patients. They say there is no conclusive evidence that children transmit the disease to each other. And they do say there's conclusive evidence about children with myopia, children with learning disabilities. Chairman, learn, I want to read this. The possible psychological harm of widespread masking is an even greater worry. Facial expressions are integral to human connection, particularly for younger children who are only learning how to signal fear, confusion, and happiness. Covering a child's face mutes these nonverbal form of communications can result in robotic and emotionless interaction. So, doctor, what did you base it on? What, I, CDC yeah. came out and said K through three, and I'm only focused on K through three. Right. What, right. Why did you do it? Yeah. So, first of all, a lot of the data that you're talking about, about transmission among kids, dates back to the alpha variant, not necessarily all the most recent data on Delta. Delta is different. So, Hugh, I promise you something, because I respect you, and I think everything in that article that just came out from Makari and Meisner, I think should be taken seriously. But we better go back and make sure those data are really solid the same way you're asking me. And I will. I'll go back to the CDC and make sure that the data that they're talking about is really solid. So let's do both. Let's just check both those things out and make sure we're really talking about apples and apples and not apples and oranges and make sure we're talking about transmissibility of Delta as we're seeing what it's doing right now. I, I agree. Keep an open Look, mind. I'll, I'll I do. Open I have an open mind. That. But that, what they say today, and you've read it, obviously, is that there is yeah, no yeah, doubt. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So let me go to my second great danger, public education generally, after a year of lockdowns and now mass controversies, and they cannot be dismissed as right-wing nuts. It's left, right, center. It's parents. Public education has taken it on the chin, Doc. They, they are yeah. really losing support. Teachers unions are viewed as villains. School districts are divided with parents screaming at each other. This is horrific for public education, which, you know, all three of my kids went through 12 years of public education. I don't know about you and I were parochial school kids, but this is not good for public education because of division over COVID. Right. You're absolutely right. And that's the reason why, again, the solution, Hugh, it's not easy. It's not easy. The solution is, first of all, we all agree uh, we've got to get the children back to school, in school, full time. Some schools have already started. My own daughter is an elementary school teacher, <laughs> and, and she is in the middle of it all in New Orleans. So I know full well from my own family the difficulty that they find when you need to get the children into school and keep them there. The solution for goodness sakes, is let's get all of these people who are the 93 million people who are eligible to be vaccinated, let's get them vaccinated. That's where we should be focusing our attention. If we do that, Hugh, this will all go away. The kids will be in school without masks if we do that. Well, I agree. I want, the, I want it mandated. Let me, let me, for teachers, I want to go to the third danger out there, doctor, which is to the idea of nonpartisan public health. I am very concerned, not about this crisis, 
but about the next one and the belief that is growing that the CDC and the FDA and everybody else is somehow being politicized. You know, I never believed that. I never, ever believed that. And now I hear it all the time. And you know how you get banged up by conservatives. Not me, but a lot of conservatives bang on you. And I know you don't care. You, you take it. You're a pro. But do you think the general idea that science can be trusted by yeah. your, your you know what I'm talking about is we're hemorrhaging credibility from the people that we used to reflexively listen to. Yeah, yeah. And we've got to continue to make sure that all of us on both sides, when I say both sides, I mean the people who look at it from the outside as well as the inside public health community have to be very sensitive to that. But I can tell you, Hugh, having been in seven administrations to see all of the things that go back and forth, this is not being political. They are, I mean, I am not in the CDC. You know that. I'm at right, the NIH. Right. And I and, you know, we make the vaccines. We test the vaccines. But I'm in on the discussions. And I can tell you it really is not politicized. They're doing their best. They're not always correct. We know that. They tend to correct when they do find that they're going down the wrong path. But I don't see political influence at all in that. I don't, Hugh. I really well, don't. Let me put it this way. I see you with my friend Chuck, like quarterly, maybe even monthly, and that's great. I want you everywhere. But our conservative influencers, like you know, Newt Gingrich, Britt Hume, Justice Thomas, Archbishop Chaput, Secretary Condi Rice or Mike Pompeo, are they enlisted in the public campaign for vaccination? Do you think that the, the public health authorities are making an effort to make this a nonpartisan? I had the guy I was on from the White House early on in the Biden year just to make sure that this was not partisan, but it's it slipped into partisanship. It is. Uh, Hugh, I mean, you know how much as a public health person, the only thing I care about, and you know me for so many years, from the Reagan administration, you know me, yep. is that we, that the only thing we care about is the health and the safety of the American public. So why is it, what can we do to get those 93 million people who are eligible to be vaccinated to understand, put all of this, you know, this ideological stuff behind and say, let's end this epidemic and try to rebuild trust among each other? Because if we don't, we're not even going to function well as a country. I mean, the thing that bothers me as much about the public health aspect is the divisiveness in the country for any challenge, including the next public health challenge. So yeah, I that, feel very, very concerned about that. That That is, in fact, my, my quest danger number four. But I, I hope when you go talk to your team today, you say, let's get Stanley McChrystal, let's get Dennis Prager, let's talk to Charles Chaput, let's get Con Just open it up, because all right now it's left-right. It's a disaster. Now, the, my real concern, I wrote about this in the Washington Post. When I read about the 1918 influenza, it mutated repeatedly over the summer. And it got deadlier in its first iteration of mutations. I don't know if the Delta variant is the last. Is there a potential Omega variant out there that becomes deadlier still, doctor? Hugh, it, it is potentially the situation that that could occur. And that's, I know you probably heard what I said on the Sunday shows yesterday, is that viruses will not mutate unless you allow them to replicate. And that's the reason why when you have a degree of viral dynamics that smolders, when you have certain proportions of the population that don't get vaccinated, they leave it wide open for the virus to continue to replicate. You know, not every mutation has a functional consequence. 
So that's the good thing. If you keep allowing it to mutate by letting the virus spread in the community of the unvaccinated, there is a reasonable chance that sooner or later there'll be a constellation of mutations that lead to a variant. We're lucky that even though the Delta variant is a very formidable variant, that our vaccines do very well, not only against protecting against infection, even though there will always be breakthrough. We know that because no vaccine is 100% protective. But the good news is that this vaccine constellation that we have, the vaccines that we're giving to the American public, do very well against severe disease and hospitalization and deaths. But that's because we're, we're lucky we've got a good vaccine. If you get a variant that eludes the protection of the vaccines that we have, we could be in greater trouble, which is yet again another reason for everybody to put differences aside and say, let's crush this thing now and then try to rebuild trust among each other. Well, that, that's what brings me to the third world. The, the Delta is rampaging in Indonesia, Malaysia, and, and India. We don't even really have numbers out of South America. Even if the United States gets the 95% vaccination, we're still going to have international travelers. What right. do you, Tony Fauci, worry about the most? A mutation that occurs abroad that can evade our vaccines? Or do you have, what's your level of confidence in our adaptability of the vaccine technology that we have and the vaccines that we've got to meet any future variant of this virus? Well, I think we can do it. And that's the reason why, you know, if you listen to many of the things I say, this is a global pandemic that requires a global response. And take a look at what the Biden administration is doing. Already, a half a billion doses are going out. We've given out 110 million doses to 60 countries. We're doing better than all the other countries combined. But you know what, Hugh? We've got to do better than that. And that's what I'm pushing for. I'm pushing to increase dramatically the capacity to make enough doses to get the world vaccinated. The USA is not going to be able to do that alone. That's for sure. But we've got to be leaders the same way we were with the PEPFAR program in HIV in Southern Africa and other low and middle income regions of the world. If we do that in other countries, the European Union and other of the richer countries chip in, we can globally suppress this. And then once we do that, we don't have to worry about variants from anywhere. Okay, my last question, Doctor, and you've been generous with your time, and I hope you keep coming back, has to do with the Provincetown study. And this is just a specific journalist question. When I was in college in Boston in the 70s, Provincetown was a wild place, and it's still a wild place. And everybody knows on the 4th of July weekend, it's the wildest of wild places. Wouldn't that, by definition, be an outlier study on transmissibility, given the number of people, the partying that goes on, the age range? I mean, what applicability at all does that have for, say, elementary school kids? No, actually, you you make a point about some people saying that it's an outlier. But the reason I'm almost certain it's not an outlier, Hugh, is we had the same thing happen in San Francisco at the San Francisco General Hospital and related hospitals in San Francisco, where you had 200 members of the staff who were vaccinated who wound up getting infected. 
They got low-level disease. They were either asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic. But it proved on the diametrically opposite side of the country in a place that you wouldn't consider a wild place. <laughs> I don't think San Francisco General is a wild no. place. No. But they showed an incredible amount of transmissibility. So I don't I – mean, I mean, obviously, Provincetown is a place of great festivity during the summer. But I don't think it is that much of an outlier. Okay, so so the question becomes, did the CDC guidance on schools change because of the Provincetown study? The CDC guidelines, when you look at the what has what has evolved over the past several weeks to a month and the realization that the level of virus in the nasal pharynx of people who are infected but vaccinated breakthrough infection is quite different than what we've seen with alpha. It's, it's relatively equivalent, at least initially, to the level of virus in people uh, who are unvaccinated. That being the case, the somewhat confidence that we had that if you were vaccinated and you had a breakthrough infection, it was very unlikely that you were going to transmit it to someone else. But when you look at the fact that you have a high level of virus, even in a vaccinated person, despite the fact that you have to admit it does diminish more rapidly than in an unvaccinated person, that theoretically gives you the basis to say that those people can actually spread infection. And that's the concern. And that was the fundamental scientific basis for the CDC's uh, decision to modify the mask wearing mandate. So my, mandate. My, they didn't mandate. They, they, they recommended. Yeah, my, my comment on that is, is that sadly, I think the CDC is vaccinating the public against listening to them because it's just so poorly explained. I, I, and Dr. Walensky is trying. I, I attribute to everyone good faith, but I don't see them on places like this show or in Dennis Prager's. I don't see them on Joe Rogan's show. I don't see them on Fox. Do they need to get out more and try and persuade, as you do, doctor, through long conversations with the center right? You know, I'm always willing to do that. You know that, Hugh. And I I think the CDC is also. uh, As long as when they're approached in good faith and not in an accusatory way, and sometimes that happens. You know, you and I have conversations. I enjoy it. We don't always agree, but it's both in good faith. And that's why I will always go on your show anytime you want me to. Well, I appreciate that, and I I look forward to hearing more on the K-3, through because I think that is the biggest divide among people who have previously been all on the same team. But you've lost, I think not you, but I think the CDC has lost a lot of parents because they think their kids are at risk for masks. And uh, good luck on that, because the more you talk about it directly, the better off we are. Dr. Tony Fauci, always a pleasure. Thank you, doctor. Thanks a lot, Hugh. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. G.K. Chesterton is reported to have said, when a man stops believing in God, he doesn't believe in nothing, he believes in anything. That came to mind recently when I logged on to HBO Max streaming service and saw there at the top of the screen an option which helps me choose which movies to watch based on my astrological sign. 
HBO is as close to an atheist channel as we have, home to Bill Maher, one of America's most aggressive atheists, and the His Dark Materials franchise, which is an atheist alternative to Narnia. But not believing in God leaves programmers at HBO believing in anything, including the ludicrous superstition that the position of the constellations at the moment of your birth somehow magically implants into you certain permanent personality characteristics. So, HBO and parent ATT and affiliate CNN, whatever else you do, spare us the condescending lectures about science denial while you try to cash in on silly superstitions. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu